Welcome to the Activist Insight Podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by the latest edition of Activist Insight Monthly. I'm Ilana DeRay, a financial reporter with Activist Insight, and this month, we're asking, will activist investor Vintage Capital Management succeed in its bid for Red Robin Gourmet Burgers? Why do Spruce Point Capital Management and Anson Funds think Axon Enterprise is a stunning short? Why does Strategic Capital think that activism's time has come in Japan? But first, a look at some of the wildest campaigns from the 2019 proxy season. Our cover story lists the top 10 situations that had us on the edge of our seats so far this year. With the 2019 proxy season now at a close, the journalists at Activist Insight have ranked the contests we believe are the top 10 wildest campaigns of the year so far. The situations that made the list were varied in terms of activists, demands, and geographies, but they all had one thing in common, twists and turns. Joining us today is Activist Insight Editor-in-Chief Josh Black, Senior Financial Reporter Yuri Struda, and Financial Reporter Eleanor O'Donnell, here to share which situations on the list they found to be the most exciting. Hi guys, welcome to the show. Yuri, which situation was your favorite from the list? Well, I think it was Texas Pacific. The situation is one of the most interesting this proxy season because it was not your typical activist campaign. The company's performance is exceptional, although at least in part that was down to good fortune. But its corporate governance is peculiar with trustees appointed for life. The group led by Softwest Advisors and Horizon Kinetics was not happy. They wanted to convert the trust into a Delaware corporation and appoint their own trustee moves the company opposed. The fight itself had a few interesting twists and turns with several annual meeting delays, lawsuits and the shareholder convention held unilaterally by the dissidents but not recognized by the company. It all ended with a similarly unusual settlement that does not guarantee peace. Now a special committee composed of dissident representatives and incumbents will assess the company's conversion into a C-corporation while the seat remains vacant. Now Josh, what did you find to be the most interesting to cover? So Papa John's International was a a really interesting situation and it kind of played out in slow motion. This company owns pizza restaurants and particularly franchises uh, in the US and and the UK and several other countries, I think. And you could see that it had real problems. Uh, Its founder, John Schnatter, had been the CEO and chairman, had relinquished the CEO role uh, and then relinquished the chairman role, but was still a 30% shareholder. His image, which was troublesome to say the least, was intensively tied up in the company and was starting to affect sales. So the company reviewed strategic alternatives. There were reports that Triumph Partners, uh, an activist that, you know, doesn't really buy companies, but has done in the past, was looking at a takeover. Uh, They apparently ruled it out. Uh, Legion Partners Asset Management built a stake and said that they wanted to push for some board changes and operational improvements. But you really couldn't see a path for the company that didn't involve constant conflict with John Schnatter, who was still on the board and was still very involved in the company, even if he didn't have an executive role. And at that point, the company went to Starboard Value, an activist whose founder, Jeff Smith, was once called the most feared man in corporate America, uh, and said, we want you 
on our register and they sold them preferred shares with a dividend with the rights for Jeff Smith to become the chairman of the company and uh, really just invited Starboard to come in and do their thing. And the the idea of an activist being invited into the boardroom uh, has been around for a while and it's sometimes hard to tell whether the companies are paying lip service to this idea. But in this situation, it was clear Starboard value really was welcome and was a key part of the company resolving its problems. And uh, John Schnatter has now started to reduce his stake and is uh, not going to run a proxy contest, is going to step down off the board. So it looks like a very positive outcome and a real endorsement of activism in a very highly specific situation, which makes this so wild. I was also interested in a situation that involved multiple parties. Bed Bath & Beyond underwent an extensive renovation after Legion Partners Asset Management, McKellum Advisors, and Ancora Advisors announced plans to replace the entire board of the home goods retailer. After just two months, co-founders Warren Eisenberg and Leonard Feinstein retired from their roles as co-chairmen. CEO Stephen Tamaris stepped down after more than 15 years at the helm, and the board created a business transformation and strategy review committee. Just as we thought Bed Bath & Beyond would refuse further change, the firm agreed to settle with the activists for four seats. That high level of transformation is rare, and it kept us on our toes until the very end. So a particularly wild proxy season for Legion Partners, which is involved in two of our top ten this year. Eleanor, the situation you wrote about is different from the others, given it involved a comeback campaign from a former CEO. Can you please tell us a bit about that? So I wrote about Japanese firm Lixil, where former CEO Kinyasito won eight board seats at the home equipment manufacturer in quite a rare proxy contest victory eight months after being forced out by the CEO Yuchiro Yushioda. The fact that Yushioda was thought to have played a role in Sito's resignation led to a whole host of activists including Marathon Asset Management, Indus Capital Partners, Polar Capital Holdings and Pacific Partners agitating for change. Many Japanese activist campaigns usually take a much softer approach and where this was quite a belt and buckle campaign with a homegrown face, it's come to be recognised as a symptom for greater support for change from institutional investors as well as local shareholders. Thanks all for being here. To access the full list of 2019's wildest campaigns, please visit the August edition of Activist Insight Monthly for our next report. In the sparse world of Japanese activist investors, strategic capital stands out as one of the most determined. Most homegrown activists engage in only friendly activism, but strategic has taken a different approach. The fund founded by Tsuyoshi Maruki chooses to agitate for change at small cap firms in Japan. In the first half of 2019, Strategic advanced resolutions at four companies, including one that was withdrawn thanks to a takeover. His proposals received average support of around 30%, a score Maruki said is not bad. The purpose of our proposals is not to win, but to press managements, he told Activist Insight Monthly. And indeed, he has. According to Activist Insight Online, Strategic has been advancing proposals at Japanese companies every year since 2014. Maruki prefers to invest in cash-rich small caps that are undervalued because of unfriendly executives, so his resolutions were mostly for higher dividends and changes in corporate governance. 
while none of Strategic's historical proposals have passed. The firm had 12 profitable exits since inception in 2012. Ten of them were the result of shareholder-friendly actions, such as share buybacks and dividends, or M&A taken after its involvement, Maruki said. Maruki operates in an environment that is becoming more open to shareholder activists. This year saw Value Act Capital Partners gain a board seat at Olympus, and a group of activists led by King Street Capital Management refresh the board of Toshiba. These are victories that many advisors agree were unthinkable just a few years ago. Earlier this year, Strategic was involved in a fight with Tosho Printing, which sells publication and commercial printings. After three years of pushing Tosho to sell its cross shareholdings and launch dividends and buybacks, the company agreed to be acquired by its parent company, Topan Printing. The activists believed the offer was low, but thought it was not worth the time and money to mount opposition. It does hope that the new amendments to the takeover guidelines recently adopted by Japan's Ministry of Economy, Trade, and Industry will change management's behavior regarding parent-subsidiary takeovers. Most management teams in corporate Japan are not bad. They are just ignorant. They may try to comply with the new guidelines, Maruki said. Vintage Capital Management in May advanced a $40 per share takeover bid for Red Robin Gourmet Burgers, valuing the fast food chain at $800 million. However, Red Robin has yet to show interest in the bid, potentially forcing Vintage to turn to other modes of pressure. Vintage initially sought to call a special meeting at Red Robin in June, but the board declared its requisition invalid. In a formal offer letter a month later, the activist said it had begun a constructive dialogue with the firm's chairman and interim CEO, Patty Moore. Vintage has now attempted unsuccessfully to acquire at least four companies it has built positions in since 2013, according to Activist Insight Online. When Red Robin last faced an activist campaign, Moore took cover under a poison pill, offered to declassify the board, and promised that recently appointed CEO Steve Carley would capitalize on the opportunities ahead of him. Eight years later, Moore again invoked a poison pill to protect shareholders. However, Carley has since left the helm, as has Denny Marie Post, his 2016 replacement. Confidence in the company is likely to depend on how quickly it can find a new leader. Activist Insight Vulnerability predicted in 2017 that an activist could be attracted to the firm. Red Robin's total shareholder return underperformed its median peer on one, three, and five-year periods. And it was worse hit in recent years when other restaurant chains suffered the same headwinds. Higher labor costs and the need to offer a delivery service with its various expenses and fees have eaten into Red Robin's margins because the company owns most of its own locations, while other restaurants let the burden fall on their franchisees. The question remains of whether investors prefer a buyout at $40 per share, which is a level they haven't seen since August 2018, or if they prefer to hold on for a turnaround. One shareholder told Activist Insight Monthly that a roll-up or private equity owner might be better positioned to control costs. However, it said $40 a piece was underselling the opportunity. With a bigger franchising effort, cost control, and share repurchases, Red Robin could be worth more than double that amount. Spruce Point Capital Management and Anson Funds have both placed bets against stun gun developer Axon Enterprise, claiming the business will face a slowdown in growth.
Spruce Point in June released a report that said Axon's software and sensors unit is experiencing a slowdown while the segment's margins are contracting. Our biggest long-term concern is how will Axon deliver on its ambitious goals and grow into the ever-expanding total addressable market it is promoting as it tries to position itself more as a software company, Spruce Point founder Ben Axler told Activist Insight Monthly. Spruce Point also said that Axon's core stun gun product is mature with limited domestic unit growth opportunities, adding that Axon's newest model will only provide a short-term benefit. Axler's firm was not the first to target Axon. Anson first took notice of Axon in 2014 and, in December 2018, presented a bearish thesis on the firm at Case Learning Shorting Conference. Anson claimed that Axon is using profits from the taser business to fund a potentially broken body camera business that likely will not be as profitable as expected. Specifically, Anson concluded that the hype behind Axon's body camera business is not warranted because the unit utilizes unproven technology and has fierce competition. Moreover, the short seller said the unit is a low-margin business because Axon charges clients three to five times more than competitors for its cloud software. Anson also predicted that Axon will face fierce competition later this year when Pure Phaser releases tasers thereby challenging Axon's margins, threatening the top line in its taser business. Yet Axon denied the allegations, noting the short seller's motive of trying to decrease the firm's stock price. While short sellers seek to spread fear, uncertainty, and doubt in hopes of knocking our stock down to make a short profit, Axon is focused on long-term solutions, such as making the bullet obsolete, improving police-community relations, and enabling a fairer justice system, a spokesperson told Activist Insight Monthly. The firm said it feels great about its market positioning, adding that it intends to execute. And now, for some stories that did not make it into the magazine. Bill Ackman's publicly listed fund, Pershing Square Holdings, has issued a contentious private placement of $400 million worth of bonds, dismissing concerns by two shareholders. Pershing Square said the proceeds from the issuance will be used for new investments, share repurchases, and general corporate purposes adding that now is an opportunistic time to issue long-term debt in light of historically low prevailing interest rates. Asset value investors and Medage Capital gave Ackman a taste of his own medicine when they lambasted the activists' plans to issue the bonds without discussing the matter with shareholders first. Both investors focused their dissatisfaction on Pershing Square's chairman, Ann Farlow, and senior independent director, Bronwyn Curtis. Medage said Farlow and Curtis have the primary responsibility for ensuring the proper governance of the company and that independent shareholders are appropriately consulted. We are disappointed that the company has chosen to push ahead with this unpopular bond issue, despite what we know to be substantial shareholder opposition, Medage's investment manager Tom Sharp told Activist Insight Online at the time. Sadly, it is characteristic of the disregard in which this manager holds its shareholders and demonstrative of the ineffectiveness of the board when it comes to resolving conflicts of interest. We hope that shareholders will continue to voice their discontent, he continued. Ironically, Pershing Square has not publicly addressed the shareholders' concerns to date. 
Also in London, Nelson Peltz's Tryon Partners is reportedly pushing plumbing and heating giant Ferguson to sell its UK operations. Furthermore, the activist wants Ferguson to change its stock market listing from London to New York. Ferguson is currently registered in Jersey, the largest of the Channel Islands, and it is part of the FTSE 100. However, the bulk of its revenue comes from the U.S. A sale of Ferguson's U.K. business would likely attract interest from private equity firms, with the company's operations worth an estimated £700 million. Tryon first disclosed its 6% stake in Ferguson in June, stating that it believed Ferguson was an attractive business that trades at a discount to comparable U.S. peers. Tryon indicated at the time that it was interested in exploring and implementing initiatives that it believes can create long-term shareholder value. That's all for this month's episode of the Activist Insight Podcast. If you like what you hear or want to read more, you can subscribe to Activist Insight Monthly by emailing subscriptions at activistinsight.com. For comments or questions about the podcast, or if you want something discussed on a future edition, please email press at activistinsight.com. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Ilana DeRay. Thanks for listening.